It was mid-October, and the trees along the route of the spectacular Blue Ridge Highway in Virginia were ablaze with color. The scene was absolutely incandescent, and cars were pulling aside at the numerous turnoffs along that particular route, and one particular car, inhabited by an elderly mother and her middle-aged daughter, pulled to the side of the road, and the two of them got out. They walked wordlessly up to the rail. They stared out at those rolling hills covered in trees in all of their fall splendor. And and the daughter in this particular instance remarked, isn't it wonderful, Mom? Isn't it wonderful of God to take something just before it dies and make it so beautiful? And her mother just nodded. Wouldn't it be great, she said, if he did that with people? And the daughter looked at the stooped figure of her mom standing there, gazing out, lost in the reverie. And she said, yes, mom. And sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. Sometimes God takes someone. Even at that moment of their life, long past when they expected it to get better, for their life to have influence, and God does something beautiful in them and through them before they die. And sometimes God does that thing in a way that then rolls out with a legacy far beyond what they will ever ask or imagine what they will ever see except from the balcony of heaven. Yes, sometimes God makes things very beautiful, people very beautiful before they die. I think this must have been true of Lois, this woman that we meet in the biblical story today. Sometimes we can't see God's creatures for the beauties that they are until the winds of life have plucked them from the tree and swept them away. And this was certainly true of this woman we read about called Lois. Like so many of the other names of the dead people that carpet the forest of Scripture, we We don't always know a great deal about some of these minor characters the Bible describes. It doesn't occur to us, perhaps, how different life might have been had there not been once upon the tree of life a woman named Lois. It's easy living in our day to forget from whence we have come as a people. We take for granted that we live for a culture or in a culture that has made a a priority of trying to supply and live by a set of higher laws than the law of the jungle that dominates so many parts of the world. We blithely live sometimes as if there were always hospitals and schools, as if there were always service organizations and orphanages and democracies. We go about every single day as if concepts like freedom and equality or concern for the weak just arose spontaneously from the ground. We're always there. But that is not so. That is not so. These amazing blessings that forest our lives were not always there. As eminent historian Rodney Stark 
of the Baylor University and as Stephen Carter of Yale University have widely demonstrated in their writings, most of the mores and the institutions that define our experience of civilization grew up out of the soil of the first Christian community, of Christian spirituality. Now, I know that some will quickly observe that there have been many crimes committed in the name of Christianity through the centuries. And I would answer, yes, this is so. But that is like questioning the value of a massive fruit tree in the desert simply because there are some parasites that occupy parts of its branches. We forget sometimes that there is not an atheist on this earth who would actually want to live in the kind of nasty and brutish world we would certainly have inherited had the church of Jesus Christ never taken root upon the planet and grown up and spread its branches and sown its life in so many places. But what I want you to understand today, what I hope that you're going to take in in a deeper measure than maybe you have before today, is is that there was a moment in time when it might have all never happened. When, When this entire growth that we now benefit from, whose shade we now enjoy, was almost stopped before it really had the chance to get going. 19 centuries ago, the Church of Jesus Christ was very nearly destroyed before it had the chance to root and to flourish. In the latter half of the first century, the tornadoes and the wildfires of a tyrannical persecution swept across the ancient world. Vast numbers of the spiritual saplings that had been planted in the earliest missionary journeys of the apostles were being torn up and literally burned by the emperors Nero and Decius. Archaeologists have now uncovered thousands of documents that give evidence of this. These these parchments they call labelli are are recantations of the faith. Uh, They're they're reverse confessions of faith by, by literally thousands of believers who in order to avoid the the persecution, the slaughter, the torture, the imprisonment that was being heaped upon Christians across the ancient world simply denied their faith in writing in order to escape the pressure. It was in this context. It was while all of this was going on. It was while he was actually languishing in prison himself, soon to have his own head hacked from his body, that the Apostle Paul wrote the letter that we've just read today. It was the Apostle's way of, of, of trying to encourage the faith that was under such fire. It was the Apostle's way of trying to declare his hope that a seed of God that he had planted much earlier in his ministry now might have sufficient strength to bloom even if Nero and Decius took out many parts of the forest. This one would survive even after Paul's own life was plucked from the tree by this persecution. And the seed of life in which Paul staked such hope was the faith that came alive in a mother named Lois. Now the scriptures tell us precious little about this woman. 
It gives us a little data point here and a little data point there, and we have to connect the dots. We know, for example, that Lois's name means desirable, that she lived in Lystra, which is one of the cities of ancient Asia Minor, now modern-day Turkey. We know from Acts chapter 16 that Lois was a Jewess. She was a Jew, and that she had very likely done what Jewish mothers did, which was to instruct her children in the ways of the faith, to tell them the ancient stories, to, 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 to take them to the great feast days, to, to describe to them the persevering hope of Israel for a long-awaited Messiah. We know from Acts chapter 14 that the Apostle Paul passed through Lois's town on his very first missionary journey. And we can therefore construe that when Lois heard the good news preached by the Apostle Paul, that the bud of faith in her took root, and and the seed of faith took root and began to spring up. It began to open up to the Son of God and to the living water of God's Holy Spirit, and that faith flourished in Lois. But there's something more about her that we know also from studying 2 Timothy chapter 1, this passage we've just read. Something at the heart of what I really want to communicate to you today. As Lois grew in faith, this is the important part, as Lois grew in faith, she passed it on to others. In other words, faith for Lois was not simply about herself. It was not simply about getting more resource with which to live her personal life. Faith for Lois was throughput. It was a shift from being a a consumer to a contributor, from being a, a reservoir to being a conduit of grace. And Lois passed on her faith. Paul tells us that the faith that lived first in Lois then came to live in her daughter Eunice and finally in her grandson Timothy. And then Paul tells Timothy, and I think by extension all who would later read this story, that it is precisely Lois's kind of faith that the church of that time, and I maintain the church of our time, desperately needs to fan into flame, to bring alive again, in a deeper measure. What is that kind of faith, you may wonder? Well, Paul goes on in verse 7 to tell us. It's the kind that lives with the spirit of such power, love, and self-discipline that the younger generations are enraptured by it, find themselves stirred and inspired by it until it comes to infect them in the best possible sense of that word and live as a blessed contagion through them out into the world they influence. Today, I'd like to think with you on just the first two of those gifts of love and of power and save the third one for another day. I am sure you hear, as I do, many prescriptions offered by people to address what seems to be ailing us in our time today. Many people will advance common cures, more education, more technology, more science, more programs of this kind or that kind are needed. And I would say there's a measure of value in every single one of these various solutions being offered, but I submit to you today, and I pray you will 
take home this reality in yourself that the thing that is most needed in our time today is more men and women with a faith like Lois, with a sincere faith of the kind that is described in our scriptures today. When more individuals in our society are again walking and talking with God daily, when more people are opening themselves up to the Holy Spirit on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis, when more people don't just fast-feed on the Word, but really digest it daily, then we shall see unleashed upon this earth a genuine power for living that can renew individual lives, that can strengthen us for the challenges that are set before us in our time. A power that has the capacity still to bring order out of chaos and light out of darkness and hope out of despair. One of the most important ministries that a mother has, or any other adult for that matter, I suppose, is modeling for younger generations a daily commitment to opening themselves up to that source of power. Let me say that again so you don't miss it. One of the most important things we can do, even the choir can do, is to model for others what it looks like to open yourself up daily to a power from beyond yourself, to not rely on your own ingenuity and your own strength, but to deeply depend upon God's power for daily life. Have your kids, have your grandkids, have the younger people who watch you in your workplace or your social sphere, have they seen you doing this? Have they noted from your devotional practices that you make a priority of seeking God day by day? Can they tell from the frequency with which you attend a worship service someplace? That, that you make it a very high priority to at least once a week really stop and open yourself up to the one who is the source of power for renewal and refreshment? Can they tell by the pattern you have of meeting with your small group that you want to tap in more deeply to God's power source for life? Do they see this sincerity of faith in you? Do they know that, that you believe that letting God shepherd your steps, lead you by the still waters, restoring your soul, can they see by the pattern of your life that you believe this connection with him is the secret to an abundant life, a truly abundant life? Don't beat yourself up if that has not been your pattern. Don't walk away from this conversation today thinking, oh, the pastor just hit me hard today. He just he made me feel guilty for what I wasn't doing, what I haven't been doing. Hey, you're in good company. All of us, we find ourselves challenged, distracted, pulled in many different directions. But my encouragement to you today is to make it your objective even more in the days to come to model this seeking after the source of real power in daily life. Maybe you might write a letter to your younger ones, to those who look at you and, and study how you live. Maybe you might make a point of starting a conversation at the brunch today uh, over these matters. You might talk about the strength that you have found 
or, or that you're striving to find in God. Maybe you'll resolve that when the family and the friends are standing around your graveside one day, they're standing there at the open hole in the ground, that one of the things they will just naturally talk about is how they saw you modeling this seeking after a real power from God in your daily life. Anna Mao once wrote, any child will learn to worship God who lives his life daily with adults who really worship him. Psychologist Larry Christian goes on to observe, happy is the child who sees his mother or father rising early or going aside regularly to keep times with the Lord. For as the book of Proverbs sums up well, he who walks with the wise grows wise. She who walks with a wise one, seeking after God's power, grows wise, grows powerful by God's grace themselves. You know, it had to have worked that way for Timothy. You know, it just had to have. That, that must be the reason. He turned out to be an individual of such immense spiritual potency. Timothy was able to live with a dauntless courage, an amazing integrity in the midst of tornado times in his culture and society. Who do you think he learned that fortitude, that wisdom from? Where do you think he'd learned about the gift of real power for living? I can make a guess. I can guess where he got that from. Or consider the second gift that somebody of sincere faith will endeavor to pass on to those who are younger. I'm thinking here of the gift of radical love. The gift of radical love. If I came down right now and I, and I put a microphone in front of your face and I asked you, do you seek to pass on love to your kids, to teach them about love, your kids, your grandkids, the others, younger ones are watching you. Do you seek to do that? I'm betting that most every single one of you had that microphone poked in your face would say, yes, I do. I really try to. Maybe not perfectly, but I try to. And as a result, your kids and grandkids and those younger ones who look to you, they're learning what it means to love. Most of them will grow up knowing how to love their family members. Imperfectly, but okay. They'll know how to love their friends. They'll know how to love the people they like. But one of the most powerful ministries that God gives to you as mentors of others is to teach them the lesson of radical love. The love that goes out beyond that safe circle, out towards those who are much harder to love, those who need love in, in a deeper measure and way because they have become, as I've said to you in the past, difficult or dangerous people. Are you teaching, modeling that kind of radical love to the people in your life? I read recently of an older woman named Jan, who decided it wasn't too late. She became concerned that she'd only really passed on to her family members the normal kind of love. Love 101. Love the people you like. 
And she decided that she would try this one particular Mother's Day to to teach another kind of lesson about love of a higher kind. And so as the kids began to call in and, and fish about, as sometimes we do, about the thing that mom might especially like on Mother's Day, this year Jan gave a different answer than usual. She said, you know, I have just been given so much in life. I have been the recipient of amazing grace in my life. You know, it occurs to me that what would really make me happy is if you went out this year and you did something really loving, radically loving, for somebody that might not have a family like we have, that might really need to be touched with love in a practical way at this time. I'd love it if that's what you'd do this year and maybe write the story about it on a Mother's Day card and give it to me. That would make me smile. Well, the kids were sort of taken aback. This meant a little bit more than a trip to the card store or the candy store or the flower store. But they took her request to heart Her eldest child was a recovering alcoholic. And as he thought about it and how he might show love, he decided that he would volunteer some extra hours down at a halfway house for recovering addicts. So he went down there and he, over a series of days, he, he cooked meals, he sat and talked with the residents of that place, he encouraged them, he prayed for them, and he wrote his story on his card. Jan's middle child decided to buy a bike for an underprivileged kid. It was a little girl that she'd heard about through a local crisis center who didn't have something as simple as a bike and her family couldn't supply the need. And so Jan went out and got the bike for the little one. And the youngest of Jan's kids decided to to buy a bag of groceries and to drop it off anonymously at the door of somebody in her neighborhood who she knew had just lost a job. And she covenanted she would do this every week until that person found a job. And she wrote down her story, too, on the card. And she gave it to mom. Jan says it was simply the best Mother's Day of her life. It was simply one of the greatest encouragements to her spirit she'd ever, ever experienced. I hope that all of us are doing radically lavish things this Mother's Day to show our moms how much we appreciate them. Don't get me wrong. Send them the candy. Get them the flowers. Manny's and petties are always appreciated. Can't have enough of those. Spa treatments of various kinds. Good stuff. Good stuff. Mothers work hard. They deserve our appreciation. But one of the most sincere gifts, one of the most sincere gifts that we can give is to imitate mom's generosity. Because chances are, she has loved you. Maybe not perfectly, but in moments with a radical love. And one of the ways that we encourage her, we honor her, is to imitate that in some way. In his letter to Timothy, his very first letter, 
The Apostle Paul says this, Be thou an example for the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in radical love. I suppose that might have been. This very admonition of Paul in his first letter might have been where Timothy got the idea that his life was meant to be about that. That he was going to be one of the radical lovers in this world. It may be where he learned the kind of compassion that would make him one of the most beloved and far-reaching missionaries of the early church. But you know, most of us don't learn that kind of radical love from preachers. I wish we did. My, my stock would go up. Most of us don't learn that kind of radical love from reading a letter in a book. Most of us learn the kind of life-changing love that lays itself down, that sacrifices for others, that sees strangers as merely family members we haven't yet really gotten to know. Most of us learn that kind of love, not by being taught, but by having it caught, by spending time at the knee alongside of Somebody who simply loves this way. Where do you suppose Timothy caught it? A little boy's mother once told him that it is God who makes people good. And the little boy looked up and replied, Yes, I know it's God. But moms help a lot. And they do. They are amongst his primary agents in this world. The apostle Paul, I think, would have concurred with that little boy's observation is why he says, when I'm reminded of you, Timothy, when I see you, Timothy, I can't help but think of your grandmother and your mom. (laughs) I just see the best of them. Their sincere faith moving through you. Lois and Eunice had obviously read that passage in Deuteronomy that says, and I quote, Be careful not to forget the things your eyes have seen of the Lord, or to let them slip from your heart as long as you live, but teach them to your children and to their children after them. They must have read that famous passage as they were going along through life. But here's the question. What if all they did was read it? What if all they did was sit in their place of worship and let their eyes wander over the familiar passage about teaching, about mentoring, about passing on the legacy? What if if Lois, when she read that passage, said to herself, gosh, I'm far too old to practice this stuff. And now, it's certainly too late where my daughter Eunice is concerned. She doesn't seem to care all that much about church. She's dating that Greek humanist guy. I mean, she thinks religion's for the birds. I've kind of, I've lost out with her. I'm not going to be able to reach her. And, And what if she'd said, oh, my grandson Timothy, he's one of those modern teenagers. He's not going to pay a wit's attention to what an old lady like me has to say. What if that had been Lois' response? When the seed of faith 
came alive in her sincerely? What if Lois had said, I know they're always clamoring down there at the Lystra Community Church about the need for Sunday school teachers and, and vacation Bible school teachers and youth group leaders. I know they're always asking for volunteers, but listen, I put in my time earlier. Now it's up to somebody else to do that. Let them volunteer. My days are over. What if that had been Lois's response? And what if, as a result, there never arose a St. Timothy to lead the church fearlessly through that tornado time of persecution? And what if, as a result, all of the people that Timothy might have touched never received the gift of power and love that he could have passed on to them? And what if, as a consequence, the generations of believers that built the schools and the universities and the hospitals that fought for freedom and justice against the tyrannies of the ages that passed the grace and the truth of the Son of God down to you and me, what if they never came into spiritual being? What if Lois had not been determined about passing on a legacy? But Lois was. And Eunice, after her, was. And then because of that, Timothy was. They were people of sincere faith who have bequeathed to us an extraordinary legacy. A bit withered, a bit devalued in our time, but alive alive in this nation's life as in no other still. So the question for us is, I think, what can we do before our leaf drops from the tree, before the wind blows it away, and we are but a name, but a memory on the floor of the forest of time? What can we do to continue this legacy through the younger generations. As you consider this question, permit me to let you in on a little secret, says our Lord. Sometimes, as wonderful as people are, I make them even more beautiful and useful before they die. May that be so for me and for you as these days unfold. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, stir in us an even more sincere faith. Where there is in us the flicker of the flame of that kind of faith already, fan it, Lord, by your Spirit into a burning bonfire that offers the wonderful warmth and, and light that you've intended your people to have. Make us people who model what it is to go after 
real power and to express radical love. And in that way, glorify, Lord, those who have passed on the faith to us and honor you above all else, you who are the Lord and the Savior of this world, the great hope of this world. We pray this day in Jesus' name. Amen.